Welcome to Raw Faith, a podcast for believers who want to grow and mature in their authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. In our time together, we hope to challenge each other to become better doers of the Word and not just hearers. This program is hosted by Shelley McWilliams of Sozo Restoration Ministries, which helps people to transform their lives through the healing, wholeness, and equipping of Jesus. So let's see where the Word takes us today. Greetings, saints of God. This is Shelley, your host of the Raw Faith Podcast. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Today, I want to talk about a controversial thing, and that is, can a Christian have a demon? I want to dig into the Word today so that we all can have a foundational understanding of what the Scripture says about deliverance. Some may not know, but one-third of Jesus's public ministry involved deliverance and healing. And so, What does the Bible say regarding a Christian having a demonic torment or demonic bondage in their life? There seems to be two extreme opinions in the church. One says that a Christian cannot have a demon, and they use the passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, that old things have passed away and all things have become new. So their stance is, If you are struggling with unhealthy patterns in your life, if you're struggling with addictions or any form of torment, it's just your flesh and you're the problem. This opinion often says that at the point of salvation, according to that scripture, it means that all of our past junk is dealt with and that when we got saved, everything in our life got right. And so if we are dealing with issues then that is because either we're not committed to the Lord enough, we're not walking in enough faith, or we need to pray more and ask God more, or we're just in blatant sin. Everything leans on the flesh. Now, the other side of this is a part of the church that believes that, yes, everything that we struggle with is demonic. That if something is not a blessing, if we're going through hard times, well, that must be a demon. That must be warfare. And there's a demon behind every bush. And so anything negative in our life is caused by a demon. Again, two extreme opinions. And I heard this saying long ago, and I use it often because it is so true. For every road, there is two ditches. And my personal opinion from digging into the scriptures is that both of these opinions are ditches. I think both of them are valid, but they're not balanced. And so I want to give you some scripture today to look at and consider what is a balanced view regarding a Christian experiencing some strongholds from demonic powers. First off, we need to lay the understanding that Christ's blood, his death, his resurrection certainly provided a means for total victory for us. There is no question. Scripture is clear about that. We cannot debate that. We cannot question that. So anything that we ever have need of this side of glory, Jesus has provided for us through his sacrifice, through his death, through his resurrection, through the authority and the permission he has given us to use his name, through the power of the blood that he shed, that perfect righteous blood on Calvary along with the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of us to empower us, to teach us, to counsel us, to give us revelation. So everything that we have need of is accessible to us. But that does not mean that we do not have to appropriate what he did 
We need to remember that we are a triune being. We were created with the spirit, soul, and body. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, make it clear. It says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are a spirit person first. Then God gave us a soul, which is our mind, will, and emotions. And then he put us in a physical body, which is our vehicle, the side of glory. When the fall came, our soul did not die. Adam and Eve's soul did not die. They still had a mind. They still had a will. They still had emotions. Their bodies at that point did not die. What died at the fall was their spirit man. In a previous episode, I talked about what death is. And death in scripture doesn't mean just the death that we think, like our body stops. We stop ceasing to exist as we know it in physical form. That's one definition of death. Scripturally, there's another definition of death, which can be defined as the separation of. So when the fall happened, we became separated from God. Our spirit man died. Because it's our spirit man that connects, that communes with God. It's the direct part of our triune being that is connected to Father God, to Jesus, and to Holy Spirit. So when sin came into the world, the fall of man occurred, then our spirit man died. We were separated from God and death came into us until we accept Jesus Christ as Savior. Then the scripture says that we're born again. Well, obviously, our mind, will, and emotions are not born again in a snap of a fingers. Our body is not born again. But what is born again at salvation is our spirit man, because we're no longer separated from God, but now we're back in union with God. And our souls and our body have to begin a journey after salvation that's a journey of consecration and sanctification. We walk out our salvation in fear and trembling, as Scripture says, and that's not just eternal salvation. Salvation in the New Testament means the salvation of our spirit man, the salvation of our soul, and the salvation of our body. Now, that could be confusing to some because most of what we focus on is the salvation of our spirit man. And the fact that our eternal address changes and we're going to spend eternity with God. That is only a third of salvation. There is still a salvation that Jesus died for, for the restoration of our mind, our will, emotions, and the restoration and healing of our body. So when we get saved, our spirit man immediately gets saved. But we enter this journey of consecrating things in our life and saying they are not more important than God. So that's the consecration process, submitting everything to the Lord and that he is the most important thing. And sanctification means that we are set apart for the purposes of God. And so that is the journey of sanctification and consecration. That's what the Bible talks about, walking out our salvation in fear and trembling. So when we talk about having a demon, it's important to understand that a Christian cannot be demon-possessed. Scripture is very clear. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says that we are not our own. 
that we were bought with a price. Therefore, the glory of God in our bodies and in our spirit, which are God's. And so we know Jesus purchased us at great price. If you think about the correlation of a car, if I own the pink slip to my car, somebody else could damage my car. Somebody else could run into my car. Somebody else could impact my car. But who's the owner of my car? I am still the owner of my car because I have the pink slip. So when Jesus came, he purchased us with a great price. And so when we get saved, we hand that pink slip back to Jesus and we say, I'm giving my life back to you. So he owns the pink slip of our life. There's no demon that can take that from him. However, saying that does not mean that a Christian cannot be tormented by a demon or bound in certain areas of their lives. It could be an addiction. It could be a sin that you're having difficulty getting free from. It could be a heart attitude. It could be trauma that you're carrying around and there's an unhealthy mindset or there's unhealthy emotions and you can't seem to get past that, then it is possible that there could be a demon bringing torment and bringing that bondage and that cycle to a believer. Now, the beautiful thing, go back to what I said a few minutes ago, everything that we have need of has been provided by Christ. So we don't have to stay tormented in that area. We don't have to stay traumatized in that area. We don't have to stay in those unhealthy patterns and cycles, be it our flesh or be it a demon. Both of those things can be resolved if we will lean on the Lord and we have the authority to take over any demonic powers. Jesus made that very clear. He gave us the authority to use his name. We have the ability to use the power of his blood, and we, through him only, are given authority over the kingdom of darkness and every evil force. It's not our own authority. That's what we have to understand. I have no power over a demon. I have no power to bring healing in someone else's life. But it is Christ and the Holy Spirit that live in me that Jesus said, I give you the right to use my name. I give you the right to apply the power of my blood that I shed on Calvary for you. And so through his authority, through his power, we can take authority over the forces of darkness. Now, where do we get a biblical foundation that a Christian can have a demon? Well, let me give you a great example. If you were to look at Acts chapter 8, we see the story of Simon the sorcerer. Starting in verse 9, and I'm going to paraphrase this because this is a long passage of scriptures. In verses 9 through 24, we see the testimony of Simon the sorcerer and what happens in his life. And so Philip is preaching the gospel and people are coming to the Lord. And then in verse 13, it says, even Simon. Now, Simon is described in previous verses as a sorcerer. He performed supernatural things under the power of darkness because a sorcerer is witchcraft. It's divination. So verse 13 says that when Philip was preaching the gospel, it says, even Simon believed and was baptized. So Simon the sorcerer gets saved. He gets baptized. And verse 13 goes on to continue to say not only that, the scripture says wherever Philip went, Simon was right by his side. 
So here's somebody that wasn't just fire insurance. He just didn't get saved to get saved. He got saved. He followed Philip around. Now, trouble ensues in the following verses because in verse 14, Peter and John come on the scene and began to pray over the people that they would receive the Holy Spirit. So people were being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And at one point, Simon approaches Peter and John and says, hey, I will give you money if you will impart to me the power that when I pray for somebody, I would have that same anointing and that everybody that I pray for would receive the Holy Spirit. Now, Peter came back in verse 20 and he said, your money will go with you to destruction. How could you even think that you could purchase God's supernatural gift with money? You will never have this gift nor take part in this ministry for your heart is not right with God. Repent this moment for allowing such wickedness to fill you and plead with the Lord that perhaps you would be forgiven for the treachery in your heart. And then Peter said this, for I discern that jealous envy has poisoned you and it binds you captive in this sin. So Peter calls out Simon and he says, hey, there's a captivity to sin of this hunger for power and jealousy and envy to do all of these signs and wonders that you're in bondage to and you need to seek God for forgiveness and for deliverance that he would set you free from this captivity. So it's a perfect example where Simon is saved. No question, he's saved, he's baptized. However, it doesn't mean that he has consecrated all areas of his life. It doesn't mean that he has sanctified all areas of his life. And we see where one of these areas, which he is in bondage to, begins to manifest when Peter and John are praying for people to receive the fire and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That brings question to how we look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. Yes, if any man be in Christ, we are a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. That is absolutely true. But we have to realize it does not mean that those things that become new are immediately manifested in our life. It's like healing. God promised that by his stripes, we are healed. But does it mean that healing is automatically manifested in our life? No, we have to pray. We have to appropriate the blood of Jesus Christ. We have to ask for healing. The same thing with deliverance and when we're dealing with demonic bondages and torment. We have to appropriate the blood of Jesus and what he did on the cross and yield and surrender to the Holy Spirit so that those things that Jesus already purchased can become manifest and come into the natural in our lives. So that's why sometimes you could have somebody that genuinely loves the Lord, but there are some areas in their life that they're in bondage to. A lot of them nowadays, honestly, are rooted in traumas and in wounding. And the enemy just has a field day with all sorts of rejections and abandonment issues and self-esteem issues. And God doesn't want us to live like that. So those things that are negative, those things that torment our minds and bring us into depression and bring us into anxiety and bring us into things that we believe that are not what God has for us, that is an influence of wounding or addictions or repetitive sin that our life is in bondage to. 
And we have to bring those things in alignment with the Lord. And sometimes that means we're going to have to take authority over a spirit that we've given right in areas in our lives by our choices and our behaviors or things that have been done to us. We're going to have to rebuke that in the name and the authority of Jesus Christ and command it to leave our lives. When you understand this, it's not a sense of hopelessness because it was so beautiful what Jesus did on the cross. He knew that we would go through these things in life. And so he provided a way. There's a reason why Jesus said, I give you the right to use my name, because he knew that we are in a constant battle in the spirit realm between light and darkness. And he wanted us to have that authority that he has, knowing that we were going to have to confront those things. And Jesus made a way that we don't have to be subject to those things. So my spiritual father used to tell this story, and I repeat it so often because it was such a light bulb that helped me put things in perspective of how can we be saved? How can we be healed? How can we be this new creation? But yet when I said yes to Jesus, it didn't look like that immediately. So what does that mean? And so the story he told is when the Israelites were in Egypt and the plagues were coming through. And the Lord was about to send a death angel through Egypt. And the Lord came to his people and he said, I want you to take a little lamb into the house, feed it for a number of days. And then at the end of those days, you're going to slit its throat. You're going to strain its blood out into a bowl. You're going to take a hyssop branch. You're going to dip it in that bowl and you're going to apply it to the door frame of your house. And when you do that, when a death angel comes by, he's going to see that blood and he's going to know. You cannot cross that bloodline that's in the door frame of the house. You must pass that house by. And so a father goes, gets a little lamb, brings the little lamb home. And that little lamb is adorable. It's like a little cotton ball if you've ever seen a little lamb. So he brings little Fluffy home and they feed little Fluffy for a number of days as the Lord instructed. And the day comes where it's time to sacrifice little Fluffy and apply the blood of the lamb to the doorframe of the house. Well, the kids by this time have gotten attached to little Fluffy. They are in mourning and grief. They're crying to their dad, don't do this, don't do this. But the father knows he has to be obedient to the Lord. The mom tries to console the kids. The father takes little Fluffy to, out to the back, sacrifices it, drains his blood into a bowl, brings it into the house. And when he walks into the house, the house is in pandemonium. The kids are crying and screaming and the wife just couldn't console the kids. And so that bowl is placed on the table and father goes to try and help console the kids. Well, it takes hours. So by the time the kids settle down and they fall asleep, the parents are exhausted and they go to bed that night. And the father forgets to apply the blood to the doorframe of the house. So when the death angel comes by that night, what's going to happen? He's not going to see the blood because the blood was not applied to the doorposts of the house. He's going to enter that house and the firstborn of that house is going to die. Now, here's the question. Was the lamb sacrificed? Yes, it was. Was the blood shed? Yes, it was. Was the blood applied? No, it wasn't. And that's how it goes in our life. The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, was slain for the sins of the world. The blood that he shed, the poured out on Calvary, and it is readily accessible anytime we have need of it to apply it to areas or door frames of our life where we need to say, devil, you can't come in here. Death, you can't come in here. 
I am bought with a price. Here is the blood of the lamb over this area in my life, and you do not have access. That is a picture of what happens as we consecrate and we sanctify things. Everything we have need of is there, but it is a journey of the Holy Spirit putting a finger on something in our lives and us submitting that to the Lord, us applying the blood of Christ, the freedom. Paul was so clear. We are not slaves to sin. So if there's repetitive sin in our life we can't get free of, we need to do some warfare. We need to apply the blood Jesus gave to our life. It's not automatic. And so that's why a Christian can be confronted and battle some demonic powers in their life. Because before we were saved, we did a lot of things partnering with the enemy and certainly not partnering with the God. Well, when we get saved, it means we have right to get free from all of those things. But it's a journey of walking that out as we choose to line up with the Lord, as we choose to grow deeper and deeper in intimacy with him and our hearts change and we don't want to be involved in those things anymore because we see through God's eyes of how much it hurts him because it hurts us. Prayerfully, you're not living the same now as you were living when you first got saved. Prayerfully, there's been some growth. Prayerfully, that there's more holiness in your life. There's more yielding and surrendering to the Lord. Your relationship with the Lord has grown. That's all part of our journey. And so it's the same thing with dealing with demonic influences in our life. As the Holy Spirit puts a finger on those things, as we deal with them with the Lord, then we can take authority and that area becomes free. It doesn't mean that all areas are automatically free. It's walking out all that Jesus created for us to be that new creature. It's us becoming that new creature that is true already in the spirit realm, but we're walking it out in the natural realm. Now, saying that, let me go to the other ditch, though, and address that, because I don't believe that a demon is behind every bush. Yes, we deal with the flesh sometimes. Yes, we deal with demonic spirits sometimes as believers. But let me make this clear. Deliverance is not going to replace your obedience and your discipline as a believer. You cannot cast out flesh. You can't keep doing what you want to do and then ask God for freedom in your life. All through the New Testament. In fact, if you look at Galatians 5, there's a whole passage of scripture in 19 through 21 where it talks about us being people who walk in the spirit, not the flesh. Galatians was written to Christians. Paul is expanding on this and he's saying, hey, we need to be people who walk in the spirit, not the flesh. But he says, don't give place to the sinful nature because your sinful nature is contrary to the things of the spirit. So he's telling us, listen, as we walk out this salvation, there's going to be a battle inside of you between what your sin nature wants, which is your soul. What, what are my desires? What are my thoughts? What's my choices that I want to make? And the spirit of God inside of us in our spirit, man. And Paul lists in that passage and things like our sinful nature is sexual immorality and debauchery and idolatry and hatred and jealousy and rage and selfish ambition. And he, he goes through and he lists several things that he says, hey, we're not to give in to these things. You could also look at a passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25, 26, and 27. 
Ephesians was written to Christians, and Paul is telling them, don't give place to the devil. Why would he say that if it was not possible for the enemy to have a place and a stronghold in our lives? And so we see in Scripture that it is possible for a Christian to have a demon, but we also see by Paul's instructions is that our flesh has to make a choice not to engage in those things. And the other extreme, which is everything's a demon and you just need to cast it out, that is an extreme ditch as well. That's not the road because there's a combination. One thing to remember on this topic is deliverance cannot come through anything else other than Jesus Christ, who is the deliverer. That's where our hope lies, because when we discover an area in our life that is influenced by a demon as a believer, we can immediately go to Jesus and he will deliver us and he will heal us and he will set us free because that is his heart. So we have all hope, all freedom, everything accessible to us. If you are struggling with an area of continual trauma and pain or a sinful bondage that you have tried to line yourself up with God's word, you have cried out to God and you have done everything that you know to do and can't seem to break free, then you may need deliverance. And that's not anything to be ashamed of. Listen, we're in a war. And so there's going to be casualties and parts of our lives are casualties. I don't know anybody that is living and breathing right now that does not need ministry in certain areas of their life. Our life is full of hurting people and hurting people hurt people and hurting people lean on things that are sinful to medicate or to cope or to satisfy themselves because they don't know what else to do. But we don't have to live in bondage. We don't have to live in hurt and trauma and pain. He came to bind up the broken heart. He came to set the captives free. And that's what Father wants for us. And so let's not settle for anything different. God loves us so much. We don't have to live anything less than what he promises us. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. If this is ministered to you, please hit like, share, leave a comment. Let us know that you are being blessed by this podcast. I'm looking forward to being with you next time. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Please be sure to subscribe and share this podcast. And if you want to know more about Shelly or Sozo Restoration Ministries, visit our website at sozorestoration.org.